Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Chapter 6 As they crested the ridge, they stopped and looked into the gloom. Campfires dotted the darkness, casting circles of glowing orange light. It had to be the resort. There was nothing else out here. They continued forward, hopping over the rusted guardrail onto the macadam surface of the road. They hadn't noticed it had begun drizzling again. The thick canopy had kept them dry thus far. The section of road was unfamiliar. Dense forests crept in on either side. The road was pocked with deep potholes and the yellow center line was faded and nearly non-existent. Ted and Susan were glad to have their feet back on solid ground, gracious to be standing beneath an open sky. They untied the raincoats from around their waists and put them over their clothing before the rain intensified. I don't remember this stretch of road, Ted mused. You're the navigator, she replied. If you don't recognize it, I certainly won't. A warped, rusted sign appeared in the gloom, tilting at an angle over the road. A few white letters were still legible beneath years of rust and grime. It's a sign for the resort, Susan said happily. We're close. Ted scratched his head. None of this seemed familiar. Maybe it's an access road, Susan said. A half dozen fires flickered nearby, scattered along the sides of the street. Part of the resort? Susan asked. A part we haven't seen? Ted shrugged and said nothing. He couldn't help feeling they were still lost. The road was cracked and crumbling and hadn't seen traffic in a decade. Sections were spray-painted with names, vulgarities and crude sketches of genitalia, typical signs of disuse and abandonment. It's getting darker, Susan said. Maybe we better stop for the night. Ted groaned, suddenly realizing he'd forgotten the flashlight back at the cabin. What's a few more miles? At least we're finally getting somewhere. Somewhere. Their shoes slapped the wet road as they carried on. Everything was bathed in the dim light of eternal dusk. After ten minutes of walking, the shadowy shapes of buildings began popping up along the sides of the road. On the broken sidewalk, a fire burned fiercely in a battered steel drum. No one was around, but the ground was littered with trash, cigarette butts, and four filthy sleeping bags. Someone was camping here? Susan asked, shocked. It certainly looks like it. He nudged one of the sleeping bags with his foot, revealing an empty bottle of wine and a crumpled pack of Winston cigarettes. The door of the nearest building, identified as Carlo's Drug Store by a faded sign in the cracked window, burst open and a man charged out onto the sidewalk. You get away from there, he grumbled. That's mine. Yes, sir, we're not bothering your stuff, Ted said, startled, backing away. Sir, he cackled, aren't you a fancy one? We don't want any trouble. We're just passing through. Passing through, are you? You sure about that? Yes, I'm sure. 
Ted didn't understand the man's question. That doesn't mean you stop and poke around in someone else's belongings. No, of course not. I apologize, sir. We didn't know anyone was living here. Oh, with the sir again. I could get used to this, he chuckled. We'll just be on our way, Susan said, hiding behind her husband. Ah, there's a pretty one here, too, the man said. Kathy, come out here and see what washed up. A skinny woman with an unruly mop of black hair joined them on the sidewalk and eyed them curiously. She may have been attractive once, but the years had not been kind. Her hands and face were traced with thick wrinkles. Her dress was two sizes too big, revealing the pale knob of her exposed shoulder. Well, look here, I wasn't expecting company, Kathy said. She ran her hands through her tangled hair and pressed the wrinkles from her dress with her hands. No one cares what you look like, woman, the man chided. Uh, nice to meet you, Susan said. She is a pretty one, Kathy purred. My name's Jack, the man said, offering a thick, grimy hand. Ted shook it politely and quickly let go. I'm Ted. This is my wife, Susan. Well, Ted and Susan, what brings you to our neck of the woods? Jack asked. We had an accident, Susan explained. We were on our way to the resort and wrecked the car down in the woods. We were just looking for a phone. Down in the woods? Kathy asked. You're lucky you're walking at all. A lot has happened since then, Ted muttered. You don't say, Jack said. Why don't you stay a while? Tell us all about it. No, really, we have to get to a phone and call our families. No phones here, Jack said with a wave of his cruddy hand. Not in a long time. You can probably call from the resort, but you don't want to make the trip in the dark. This road is a bastard if you're not careful where you're walking. Ted sighed and hung his head. In a world where everyone carried a cell phone with them everywhere, they'd managed to find the one stretch of road where that rule didn't apply. What is this place? Ted asked. I've been up here dozens of times and I don't recognize it at all. No, I guess you wouldn't, Jack said. They closed this section off decades ago, killed the town and took its name. What do you mean? Susan asked, stepping forward. That old resort popped up overnight, Jack informed. No warning, nothing. One day they tore up the mountain and the next there were lines of people for miles just waiting to get in. Listen, I'm willing to tell stories all night, but I'm not going to do it out here in this damned rain. You're welcome to come inside. Inside? The drugstore? Susan asked. Ain't been a drugstore for as long as I can remember, Kathy added. A loud snarl came from across the darkened street. Ted squinted into the darkness and raised the branch in his hand, ready to strike out the second a target presented itself. A mangy black lab sauntered into the fire's glow and looked at Ted quizzically. He heard Jack laughing behind him. Don't worry about that old mutt, he laughed. He's slow and half-blind. The dog walked up and nudged Susan's hand. She giggled and patted the old girl on the head. It licked her hand and walked back into the shadows. You're welcome inside if you'd like, Kathy said. We ain't got much in the way of appetizers, but we can afford to feed you before you get on your way. 
No, really, we don't want to impose, Ted said. Impose shit, Jack laughed. We could use the company, and you look like you could use a warm meal. The sky rumbled overhead and lightning slashed across the sky. Susan looked at Ted questioningly and shrugged. Why not? Okay, <laughs> you twisted my arm, Ted laughed. Excellent, Jack exclaimed. Come on in and take a seat and we'll see what we have cooking. They followed Kathy through the front door as an old bell jingled overhead. We haven't had the heart to take it down, Kathy explained. It's kind of nice once you get used to it. Susan smiled and entered the room. The inside of the drugstore was dimly lit by several ancient Coleman lanterns. The furniture was a haphazard collection of cast-offs, and the wall decorations were a mismatched hodgepodge of tacky knick-knacks. The metal shelving units had been pushed to the sides of the room, blocking the windows. It looked to Susan like something she'd seen in a post-apocalyptic TV series, like The Walking Dead or Revolution, or one of the other dozen science fiction shows Ted binge-watched on Netflix. Kathy served macaroni and cheese with sliced hot dogs in large plastic bowls. She watched them as they ate, as if waiting for word on her gourmet menu. Jack scarfed his meal hungrily with a plastic spoon, drizzling melted cheese into his thick, full beard. He belched loudly and placed his bowl on a worn coffee table. Kathy, you did it up good, he said. Oh, you, she said bashfully. So you crashed your car. Jack said, changing the subject. Yes, Susan replied, putting her bowl aside. She wiped her mouth on a paper towel and looked at Ted. We were on our way to the resort when it started raining and we hydroplaned and went over the mountain. Car's totally wrecked, Ted added. I spent ten years of my life rebuilding her and only twenty seconds to rip her apart again. Yeah, that's a tough one, Jack said. But you're alive and both look unharmed. We're fine. Susan said. Physically, at least. What do you mean? Jack asked. Ah, nothing, Susan said. It's been a very long night. Jack raised an eyebrow. He knew he wasn't getting the entire story, but his imagination filled in the blanks. He'd been in those woods before. Long time ago. Well, you're here now, Kathy interrupted. That's what matters. Ted nodded and finished his macaroni. Thank you for letting us in and for feeding us. I didn't realize how hungry I was. It's no bother, Kathy said. She grabbed the empty bowls and disappeared through a shadowy door at the back of the room. What were you saying about the resort, Jack? Ted asked. Killed the town and took its name? Yep, that's what I said, he grunted. One day we were doing just fine and the next our lives were uprooted and torn apart. As soon as that place opened, the decline began. We had a school a post office, a bunch of mom and pop shops, and all gone now. I don't understand, Susan said. I would think the resort would help local business. They put in a new road, Jack said, and bypassed the town entirely. They have a gift shop up there. They have their mail picked up and their food delivered. We were like the ox pecker on a rhino's back, hanging on for scraps. Didn't take long for folks to pack up shop and put their homes on the market. Only thing is, everyone had forgotten we were still here. Those houses stood empty for years. Most still do. A fire wiped out a good chunk of the town about five years back, our house included, and me and Kathy wound up here. Why didn't you leave? Susan asked. 
Leave? Thought never even crossed our minds. Most of us have been here as long as we can remember. It's part of us and we're part of it. It's so sad, Susan sighed. We get by, Jack said. The town of Pine Lakes might not exist anymore, but her people do. This town was named Pine Lakes? Ted asked. Sure was. The resort took its name from the town and then put it out of business. How many of you stayed? Susan asked. Oh, hard to say, Jack contemplated. Few hundred, I guess. A group of twenty or so have set up house in the old post office, another forty at the high school. We're spread out all over this mountain. Jack lit a cigarette and offered the pack to Ted and Susan. They both took one and thanked him. How do you get your supplies? Susan asked. These cigarettes, your food. Living off what's still here, Jack said, filling the room with a cloud of smoke. We picked through the supermarket and the convenience store. Had a sporting goods store and a few clothing stores, too. We make do with what we have. You're going to run out eventually, Susan said. Susie, that's enough, Ted warned. No, no, it's okay, Jack said. I don't mind. She's right, we've been lucky so far, but it's not going to last forever. And yet you're feeding us and letting us smoke your cigarettes, Susan said. You didn't have to do that. We know what it's like to be in trouble, Jack replied. You needed help, so we helped. Ted inhaled deeply and blew out a plume of white smoke. It was stale, but it never tasted so good. Kathy entered the room and took her seat next to Jack. What are we talking about? That damn resort, Jack blurted. Kathy wrinkled her face distastefully. Nothing much to say. Ruined our nice little town. Thunder rattled the glass in the windows, making Kathy cringe. She hates the storms, Jack informed. Always has. Lately they've been getting worse. I don't remember when we last saw the sun. I can't keep any of my flowers alive, Kathy stated. Not enough sun. They shrivel up and die, just like we will someday. Ah, oh, Kathy, we have guests. Why not put away that depressing shit for another day? It's fine, Susan said. I can't imagine how you must feel. No, you can't, Jack said. You'll leave this place and we'll still be here. You really should think about leaving, Susan said. No, Kathy interrupted. We couldn't leave if we wanted to. Those first few months after they diverted the road, some of us tried, but we were chased right back here. What? Chased by who? Ted asked. The people at the resort, Jack said. The guards. They don't like our kind creeping around their million-dollar campground. Guards? Susan asked. I've never seen a guard. No, I bet you haven't. They don't want to be seen. They hide in the trees and patrol the perimeter with their attack dogs. They keep us as far away as possible. Jack stubbed down his cigarette on the floor and kicked it away with a booted foot. Attack dogs? Susan laughed. You're joking. It isn't a military base. What the hell would you know about it? Jack shouted. Your kind are allowed there. Our kind? Okay, that's enough. Ted said, patting Susan on the arm. We're sorry for intruding. We'll just be on our way. Nonsense, Jack said. I apologize. It's a touchy subject. He looked over at Kathy and shook his head. 
We don't mean any harm. We're not used to people coming through here, Kathy added. We get a little enthusiastic when we see new faces. Ted thought it was a strange choice of words. Enthusiastic? We don't need to drag this out, Jack said. It's over and done. Let's say we sit back and enjoy each other's company while we can. Susan sat back in the chair and eyed Jack warily. Armed guards? Were these people crazy? Were the guards and dogs metaphors for something else? She suddenly remembered the things in the woods and wasn't so sure. Why don't you grab the cards, Kathy? Jack said. You two up for a little gin rummy? Hey, why not? Ted asked. Not much on television. He eyed the dusty console TV a few feet away and laughed. Kathy laughed along, but it didn't reach her eyes. They didn't see the shadow fall over Kathy's face or the large knife she'd secreted away in the arm of her dress. Jen, it is. Damn, you're good at this, Kathy exclaimed. Susan shrugged and laughed. She hadn't played in years. My father taught me, she said. When I was young, Dad generally came home late. We'd eat dinner, and afterward he'd play cards with me. Jen, war, hearts, spades, you name it. I think he fancied himself some sort of card shark, she laughed. Taught me everything I know. That's sweet, Kathy said. You're close to your daddy then? Oh yeah, daddy's little girl. I don't do much of anything without him knowing about it. That's the truth, Ted grumbled. All our dirty laundry on display for the in-laws to see. Oh, stop, Susan said. It's not like that. Jack laughed and shuffled the deck. Only married folk and sibling bicker back and forth like that. Jack looked at Kathy and winked. My kin are mostly gone, Kathy said. My sisters, my parents, gone. Just dust in the wind like that old song said. I'm sorry, Susan said. I didn't mean to bring any of that up. No worries. Been so long I barely remember their faces. Kathy's eyes went far away as she picked at the hem of her sleeve. Strange, the way that happens, when you forget the sound of your own mother's voice. They've been gone a long time, Susan asked. Feels like a hundred years, she replied. As Jack began dealing the cards, the nearest lantern sputtered and went out, plunging the room into darkness. God damn it, he blurted. We're out of kerosene. Don't we have more in the back? Kathy asked. Nope, used it all up. Jack placed the deck on the table and stood. I have to go to the post office and see if they have any. The post office? Ted asked. Yes, sir. That's where we store most of the caro. Jack walked to the door and opened it onto the rain-spattered pavement. He looked up and down the empty street and came back to the table, his heavy hands planted on his hips in irritation. So what now? Ted asked. I have to make a run to the post office, grab a few cans, if you're up for the walk, I could sure use the help, he said. Ted had no intention of doing anything of the sort, but after the hospitality Jack and Kathy had shown them, it would be rude not to offer assistance. It couldn't be that far, and he still had his raincoat. Sure, I'll come along, Ted answered. Susan looked at him, worried. She wasn't keen on spending quality time with Kathy and her sad tales. Jack caught her eyes and smiled. It's fine, dear. Twenty minutes and we're back in business. Kathy can keep you company. Sure, I guess so, Susan said. Just hurry back.
two shakes of a lamb's tail, Jack said. Susan giggled. Never heard that one before, Jack asked. It goes way back. We're a little behind the times out here. Don't worry, I'll take good care of your woman, Kathy said. Ted nodded and pulled the slicker over his clothes. He raised the hood and kissed Susan on the cheek. We'll be back in a bit, don't worry. Susan shrugged. She didn't like it one bit, but how could Ted say no? These strangers were nice enough to invite them into their home and feed them. It was the least Ted could do to return the favor. When this was over, she planned on a hot shower, a steaming cup of coffee, and staying in bed for a month. How could they ever explain any of this to their friends or family without getting looks of pure disbelief? Let's get going then, Jack said. The sooner we're gone, the sooner we'll return. Ted offered a quick wave and followed Jack into the downpour. We got some time to kill, Kathy said. What would you like to talk about? The rain soured Ted's mood instantly. Just when he thought they'd left soggy socks behind, he was gearing up for more of the same. At least when they returned, he'd have somewhere warm and dry to lay his head. Maybe he'd even have a chance to catch a few hours of sleep without the constant threat of wild animals and old women who hoarded cell phones like a precious moments collection. Your girl seems nice, Jack shouted over the rain. She's a keeper, Ted replied. She put up with my shit after all these years. Jack laughed and wiped rain from his face. Been together long then? We started dating in high school. Long time, Jack stated. Still got that passion, huh? Yeah, Ted laughed. I guess we do. Me and Kathy got that, he said. Oh, and that girl knows how to fuck, if you know what I mean. I, uh, yeah, that's pretty plainly stated, he replied uncomfortably. Jack roared with laughter. It was clear to Ted that years of self-imposed exile had changed their ability to interact socially. He scratched his forehead and kept his thoughts to himself. That woman bends in ways you wouldn't imagine, Jack said. And when she gets a hold of your tool, forget it. She'll tug on it like a hungry dog. Ted choked back laughter and wondered what stories Kathy was filling Susan's head with. If she was anything like her husband, Ted was sure Susan would be getting quite the education right about now. Maybe later on you take her for a spin, Jack said. She's always up for trying new things. Uh, no. Uh, no, really. I don't think Susan would like that very much. So she's a prude, then? Well, you're loss. No, not a prude, Ted explained. Conventional. To hell with convention, Jack barked. Does she suck your cock or what? Ted looked at him, stunned, slowing his pace. Jack, not to be disrespectful, but I am not going to discuss that with you. Sure, sure, I understand. Not everyone's as open as me and my Kathy. No one is as open as you and Kathy, Ted thought, thankfully. How far is the post office? Ted asked. Being alone with Jack suddenly felt like being part of a gag reel. The sooner they finished their trek across town, the better. Few blocks, Jack said. Town's not very big. Conversation died. Ted didn't know if he offended Jack, but it wasn't high on his list of priorities. Whatever he and Susan did behind closed doors was private. He'd shared in locker room talk with his buddies, but Jack was a complete stranger and old enough to be his father. He wasn't about to divulge he and his wife's sex life to a man who'd lived in an abandoned building. Do you two have kids? Jack asked. No, 
Ted replied quickly. Haven't had the time. Time's all we got out here, Jack chuckled. Kathy and I have seven, he said. All girls, if you believe that. I'm sure that keeps you busy, Ted said. Our oldest has ten years on you. She looks after the little ones. I swear I can't look at Kathy without her getting pregnant. I didn't see them back at your place. No, hell no, they don't live with us. I fucking hate kids, he laughed. Ted bit his lip. Kathy got pregnant the first time when she was 17. Fucked her once in the shed behind the house and bang, another mouth to feed. Oh, wow, Ted groaned. That's tough. Tough? It was tough when Daddy found out. He didn't approve one bit. Her father didn't? Our father, he grumbled. Daddy didn't think what we were doing was right, so he made her keep it. That kid was never going to win any beauty contests, that's for sure, Jack bellowed. Ugly as a shaved pit bull. Wait, what? You have the same father? Ain't you paying attention? Kathy's my little sister. Who better to understand you than your own blood, am I right? Ted was stunned by the sudden clarity. Of course they wouldn't leave this place behind. Jack and Kathy were brother and sister, siblings who'd had a brood of children conceived out of incest. It made his stomach churn. The macaroni and cheese laid in his gut like a hot ball of wax. She started growing them little titties when she was eight. Okay, Jack, I don't need to know any of this. This is your thing. Doesn't have to be mine. I'm not judging anyone. Judging us, Jack said, stopping short. Who are you to judge us? You drive around in your new cars and wear your $100 shirts, and you're going to judge us? No, Jack. I said I'm not judging you. Whatever you choose to do with your life is none of my business. You're damn right it's none of your business, Jack scolded. We're simple people. We don't need all that distraction you surround yourselves with. We have each other and that's all we need. Everything else just rots your brain. Of course, Ted agreed. You're right. All we need is the love of a good woman and children to carry on our legacy. Sure, sure, Ted nodded. I hear you, Jack. I should think so. I'm right here. Maybe we should head back, Ted said. Susan's going to start worrying about me. Your woman is in safe hands. Kathy fed you and kept you out of the cold. Least you can do is get her some caro for the lamps. Okay, Ted said. We get the kerosene and we get right back. Well, hasn't that been the plan all along? Jack laughed. Sometimes I think you city folk don't have the brains God gave you. Jack turned and continued along the rain-soaked street, and Ted followed at a safe distance. They passed darkened buildings on either side. A market, a dress shop, a jewelry store, a restaurant. Each one had been boarded up and was coated in grime, and some orange light flickered through the cracks between planks that had been nailed over the windows. This had been a place where people worked, had children, normal children, and lived out their lives, Ted wondered if all of Pine Lake's residents had similar stories to Jack's. God, he hoped not. They passed a tall, white church on their right. A burn barrel blazed at the top of the front steps, and a small group of people stood huddled around it. Jack raised a hand, and several people waved in return. A woman dressed in rags grabbed a small child and pushed him behind her. Whether for the child's safety or for Ted's was uncertain. A bulletin board hung on the church's front wall. 
Faded plastic letters read, Repent, and ye shall be saved. Looking around, Ted wondered if anyone actually believed that. Ted thought he heard quiet singing behind the sturdy doors, but couldn't be sure over the crashing thunder. The group disappeared and entered the church. Soft light spilled into the rain in a yellow arc. They closed the door behind them without even a glance over their shoulders. Not a very friendly bunch. It used to be St. Joseph's, Jack said. Doesn't really have a name anymore. We call it the Refuge. The Refuge, Ted asked. Refuge from what? Jack's only reply was a deep, rumbling laugh. He turned down a wide side street, crossing beneath a dark traffic light that swung in the wind. Post office is right over here, Jack pointed. Next to the booby bar. The what? The booby bar. What, you think we don't have any entertainment in this backwater town? I have a mind to stop in and fill my flask while we're here. You've got to be kidding me. I kid you not. Man has desires, you know. Even a man such as yourself must like to look at a naked woman now and again. Ted was becoming more and more certain that coming with Jack was a mistake, but there was no way to back out now, barring just turning around and running back to Susan. Were these people dangerous? You coming or what? Jack asked. Ted followed. Can I get you anything else from the kitchen? Kathy asked. No, I'm fine, thank you. Kathy returned to her seat and stared out into the rain. She opened the front door to get some air in the room, but it did little for the smell permeating the old store. Faint chemicals, wet wood, and the oily stink of unwashed bodies. The moist air blowing through the open door carried the smell of wood smoke and the less pleasant tang of spoiled trash. Ted had only been gone for five minutes, and already Susan was wondering when they'd return. There was something seriously off about this place. Do you and your husband have children? They must be wondering where you are by now. Oh, Susan said, no, we don't have any kids. Young couple, I just figured you'd be working on that great American family, Kathy said. Why picket fence, Swing said in the yard. Susan visibly deflated. Not this conversation again. We were trying, she said, but I lost the baby. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring it up. No, it's okay. I think I'm finally able to deal with it, most of the time anyway. It's that nasty air drifting in from the city, Kathy explained. All that pollution. It gets up inside you and starts to fester. It just wasn't our time, Susan said. Is that what you've been telling yourself? Kathy laughed. Mark my words. It's the air and the chemicals in the food. It muddies the waters. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I never really sat down and thought about why. It was God's way of saying you ain't cut out to be a mother. What? Susan gasped. God has a way of correcting mistakes, she continued. You're saying my baby was a mistake? Susan asked, exasperated. No, honey, relax. Kathy leaned forward and patted Susan's knee. I'm not saying anything. God made that decision. It was he who decided your baby was a mistake. That's ridiculous, Susan shouted. I don't make the rules, I just abide by them. I could dump out kids like a stray cat. I haven't offended God. I live a simple life. You're insane, Susan yelled. She stood and walked a few steps away as if Kathy was contagious. 
We didn't do anything wrong. It just happened. It happens to a lot of couples. Couples drenched in sin, Kathy stated. Your little snapper is drowning in the filth of a society hell-bent on destroying itself. That's disgusting, Susan moaned. Yes, it is, Kathy replied. She stood up quickly, and Susan saw the glint of metal sticking from beneath the cuff of Kathy's sleeve. What is that? she asked. What are you going to do? I'm going to help you, she said. Help purify you. Purify me? Susan backed up and bumped into one of the steel shelves. Assorted bric-a-brac rattled and fell to the floor. You stay away from me. There's no reason to behave that way, Kathy said. Just a few cuts and you'll be one of us. You're crazy, Susan shrieked. Get the fuck away from me. Now you're trying my patience, Kathy scolded. We've been nothing but kind to you and this is how you repay us? Susan glanced at the open door, but Kathy was on her before she could move a muscle. She pressed her body against Susan's, their faces only inches apart. Susan smelled the fetid reek of Kathy's rotting teeth and choked back a sour belch. She felt pressure between her legs and looked to see the knife Kathy had been concealing. Eight inches of gleaming steel. Kathy pushed the pointed tip into Susan's jeans and traced lines around the swell of her vagina. Susan wanted to vomit. You don't want to move right now, Kathy whispered. Not unless you want this blade up your coos. You're sick, Susan hissed. Let me go right now. Let you go? Where do you think you are, little girl? You don't get to tell me what to do. This is my world. You're still breathing only because I've allowed it. But you keep talking out of turn and I might just slip. The point of the blade poked through the fabric of Susan's jeans and cut a small gash in her leg. She whimpered and attempted to melt through the wall as blood trickled down her leg, tickling the tender flesh of her thigh. Please, Susan pleaded. You don't have to do anything crazy. Just let me go. You'll never see me again. You say crazy one more time and I'm going to bury this blade so far inside you that you'll taste blood in the back of your mouth. A single tear escaped Susan's left eye and streaked over her cheek. Kathy wiped it away with her rough, gnarled hand and licked it from her fingertip. Susan shuddered and tried to pull away, but Kathy pushed even closer. Her breathing had become more frantic. She was enjoying this. Are you getting wet down there? Kathy rasped. I certainly am. Your crying only helps. Susan sniffed, took a deep breath, and tried to get herself under control. Oh, even your breath is sweet, Kathy cooed. We're going to have some fun, you and I. Kathy put her hand between Susan's leg and cupped her vagina with a trembling hand, applying pressure in just the right way. Susan cried out, disgusted that her body reacted to the woman's touch. It made her feel dirty. Stop, Susan said. Please stop. You say stop, and I say go, Kathy giggled. You just hold still for a minute and we'll get this party started. Kathy fumbled with the button on Susan's pants, grumbling and talking to herself. Susan's skin crawled as a thin line of drool escaped from Kathy's mouth and ran over her chin. Without a word, Kathy removed the knife from Susan's crotch 
and placed it on the coffee table. With two hands, she had Susan's button open in seconds. She stood up, smiled, and saw the look on Susan's face a moment too late. Susan swung her arm as hard as she could, connecting with Kathy's jaw with a loud pop. The shock of the impact sent a bolt of pain up Susan's arm. Kathy staggered back, tripped over the leg of the table, and fell to the floor with a garbled shriek. She recovered quickly, reaching up for the knife as Susan kicked out, striking a glancing blow on the woman's elbow. Susan reached down and picked up the blade, brandishing it in front of her. The spasming flicker of lightning made the entire struggle appear like it was happening in slow motion. Oh, you stupid whore, Kathy screamed. You're going to regret that. No, you're going to regret it, Susan shouted. If you get off that floor, I'm going to cut you. I swear I will. Kathy cackled and pulled herself into a sitting position. You don't know what you've done, you stupid bitch. You just signed your fucking death warrant. I'm the one holding the knife, Susan said, smiling. Who's the stupid bitch now? Susan backed toward the door, opening a gap between them. When Jack gets back, he's going to peel the skin from your face, Kathy hissed. Do you hear me? I'm not going to be here when he gets back, Susan said. I'm going to find them first. God help anyone that gets in my way. Oh, the little girl's got a pig sticker and all of a sudden she's going to be a hero. You went and fucked with the wrong family. No one has to get hurt, Susan said. You just let me go, I'll find my husband, and we'll never have to see each other again. That's fair, don't you think? I don't think it's fair at all. The second you grabbed a hold of that knife, fair went out the window. You were holding it on me, Susan screamed. You cut my fucking leg. When Jack comes back, you'll think that little scratch was nothing more than a lover's kiss, Kathy said. He's gonna gut you like a fish and feed your uterus to the dog. You're vile, Susan moaned. What's wrong with you people? You people, Kathy said. You think you're so much better than us? We don't do stuff like this to each other. There's a civilized world out there that you know nothing about. A civilized world? Kathy scoffed. War? Famine? Murder? That's a civilized world? Teenage girls strangling their babies because they wouldn't stop crying? Is that what you consider civilized? I'm not having this conversation with you, Susan said. We're done here. You can get your kick some other way. I'm not going to be a part of it. Oh, you're already a part of it. Kathy said, wiping blood from her bottom lip. She planted her hands on the floor and stood, brushing dirt from her dress. The little ones eat good tonight. The what? What are you talking about? Kathy cackled and took a step forward. Stay back, goddammit. I'm not fucking around. She slashed the knife through the air with a whistle and Kathy jumped back. Susan scrunched her shoulders as thunder erupted outside but she didn't take her eyes off Kathy. You think you have it figured out, I bet, Kathy said. You think you're just gonna walk out of here and go back to your life as if nothing happened. This is your life now. That's not true, Susan cried. I'm nothing like you. You eat, you piss, you shit, you fuck. You're exactly like us. 
Somewhere in the distance a church bell tolled sadly. The sonorous tones ebbed and flowed over the town carried by the wind. What is that? Susan asked. The bell on old St. Joe's Church, Kathy replied. Not much of a churchgoer, are you? I figured as much. I know it's a fucking bell, Susan yelled. Church is letting out, you stupid cow. And when it does, all hell breaks loose. The bell's cry distracted her for just a second. One second too long to notice the shadow cross the floor. Susan gasped and spun on her heel, coming face to face with a giant of a woman. Her fat lips were spread over rotten teeth, her eyes darker than a winter sky. Without time to react, Susan took the full brunt of the woman's punch. She felt her nose shatter beneath the blow. Her feet left the ground as the knife was jarred from her hand. She hit the floor in a puff of dust, banging her head on the wood hard enough to see stars. The giant loomed over her, daring her to move. Susan didn't have the energy to lift her head as blood poured from her broken nose and pattered on the floor. This is my oldest daughter, Tess, Kathy said happily. Good thing you got here just in time. Tess nodded at her mother and smiled. A messy mop of hair covered portions of her face as she looked down at Susan, shoulders heaving as she inhaled huge lungfuls of stale air. A ridge of flesh jutted from above her eyes, like pictures Susan had seen of Cro-Magnon Man. The skin on her massive forearms was deeply scarred from an old burn. A thick white line crossed her throat, running from one ear to the other. Her clothes were covered in patches of filth, muck, food, and what appeared to be dried blood. Tess doesn't talk, Kathy said, but she doesn't need to. She gets her point across with those lovely hands of hers. Tess stomped across the floor with feet like canoes. She stood over Susan, dripping cold water onto her skin. Redneck water torture, Susan thought, braying laughter. What the fuck's so funny? Kathy shouted angrily. You, all of this... You're monsters and you don't even see it. Maybe we are, Kathy mused. But we're your monsters now. Tess bent down, grabbed Susan's shoulders, and slammed her head into the floor with a loud thud. Susan chased the sound of the tolling bell as she slipped into unconsciousness. Jack's booby bar was exactly what Ted had pictured in his mind a run-down dump with photos of nude women locked behind glass cases. A large, dark sign above the door read Neil's Pub. Maybe in better times the establishment had been reputable, but looking at it now, Ted only grimaced distastefully. Men stood out front, their clothes soaked from the rain. Their conversation ceased as Jack and Ted approached. A boy of about ten jumped up and down in front of the building's only window, trying to catch a glimpse of the wonders beyond. He turned and studied Ted with eyes that pointed in opposite directions. He had a cleft palate that twisted his mouth into a painful-looking grin. His feet were bare. What brings you out tonight, Jack? One of the men asked, tossing a cigarette into the street. Needed, Caro. Figured I'd stop for a drink and a grope. Who's your friend? This is Ted. He's just passing through, aren't you, Ted? Uh, yes, passing through. Nice to meet you. Ted said, offering his hand. The other man shook his head and lifted his arm, showing off a stump covered in twisted flesh. 
His mouth was smiling, but his eyes were blank. Another man laughed, lips flapping wetly over toothless gums. How are the girls tonight? Jack asked. Doing okay, the one-handed man replied. Julie got smacked around again. Jack laughed and put his hands over his sizable stomach. What happened this time? She's still getting a little toothy with her blowjobs, the man laughed. She's been warned how many times? Too many, Jack grumbled. Next time we're going to have to take her teeth. Can't have that kind of thing going on or the guys will stop coming. Ain't no one coming if she keeps it up. The group erupted in hearty laughter and applause. The one-handed man fancied himself a comedian. Come on, Ted, Jack said. Let's get out of the rain and see what's on the menu. Ted shook his head side to side but followed anyway. Jack scared him. This entire town scared him. Better to keep the peace than piss him off again. The room was dimly lit by several well-placed lanterns, but the back of the space was still cloaked in shadow. Ted wrinkled his nose at the mixture of smells, stale booze, cigarette smoke, spoiled food, sweat, and sex. Lots of sex. The floor was covered in sawdust and peanut shells and bodily fluids much more disgusting than just congealed vomit. A long L-shaped bar was filled with men of all ages, from seventy to a boy barely old enough to grow a beard. A gray boombox sat on the edge of the bar. The shell was cracked and the tape deck played an old Credence cassette. A stack of D-cell batteries sat nearby, obviously another stockpile they'd pocketed from one of the local stores. How else would one play their Credence tapes without electricity? Daddy, a woman said cheerily. The woman in question would never be pretty, no matter how much makeup she caked on her pockmarked face. Her dirty blonde hair had been cut crudely, likely with a dull pair of scissors. She was completely nude, and her left breast was scarred and missing a nipple. She wrapped her thin arms around Jack and kissed him passionately on the mouth. Ted looked away horrified. Who's this? she asked, motioning to Ted. No one you need to worry about, Jack said. He's a happily married man. Oh, the married ones are the most fun, she cooed. Never you mind, just get back out there and do your thing. The customers don't come here to see you yapping. The woman patted Ted's chest, winked, and walked away. One of my girls, Jack explained. Three of my daughters work here. Have to make a living somehow. They're paid to work here? Ted asked. Not with money. We don't have any need for that. It's all in trade. Ted didn't want to think about what exactly they were trading. His stomach was already twisted in knots just being here. Jack not only condoned his daughter's behavior, but he was their biggest fan. The way Jack watched his daughter's naked body wind through the assembled patrons made Ted sick, not to mention the passionate kiss they'd shared just moments before. She'll do anything you want. Jack said, leaning toward Ted. We taught her well. No thanks, really. Susan's all I need. Your loss. They continued through the darkened room and Jack took a seat at the bar. He patted the stool next to him and ordered two shots he called the house special. Ted sat next to him and scanned the back bar. There were dozens of bottles without labels containing a variety of different colored liquors. The bartender grabbed one with a thick, clear fluid and poured it into two dirty shot glasses. Jack slid one over and smiled wryly. That's gonna put hair on your chest. 
I shouldn't be drinking, Ted said. It's only a shot. Drink it. Jack left little room for interpretation. It wasn't a request. It was an order. Ted raised the glass to his nose and sniffed at the pungent concoction. Down the hatch, he said, raising his glass to Jack. He downed the shot in one swallow and groaned. It burned all the way down, igniting a flame in his gut. Smooth, ain't it? Jack smiled. Sure, Ted coughed. Smooth. Another round, Jack called. Ted turned and watched as a woman walked to the end of a handmade catwalk. She was greeted with applause from most, but several jeers boomed from the back of the room. That's Julie, Jack informed. Hell of a body, but she can't please the men to save her life. She ain't one of mine, no sir. Ted could see that clearly. She didn't belong here. Her skin was unmarred and long auburn hair hung down to her full breasts. She did her best to hide her most private areas from the leering crowd. She smiled shamefully, exhibiting a set of straight, white teeth. Teeth Jack said he was going to remove if she didn't learn how to please the patrons without biting. Grind it! A raspy voice shouted from the shadows. Yeah, show us the fur! Another called. She's new, Jack said. Only been here a short time. Came into town and decided she liked it so much she just couldn't leave. Ted doubted that. Doubted it very much. She was gorgeous. Too classy to be spending time being ridiculed in a sleazy strip joint off the grid. Something was very wrong with this picture. As fortunate sun blared from the tinny speakers of the ancient tape deck, Julie gyrated and spun around a grimy pole, only looking into the audience when her name was called. She squinted through clouds of stinging smoke, bumping her backside to the beat of the music. Ted's eyes and hers connected for just a second, and her pain flooded over him in a series of waves. She's a prisoner, Ted thought, suddenly weakened by the realization. She's trapped here, just like they intend on trapping me and Susie here. Enjoying the show? Jack asked, sliding another shot in Ted's direction. Ted downed it, grimaced and nodded. She's beautiful, Ted said. He watched as Julie stoically went through the motions, trying to hold on to her last remaining scraps of dignity. A loose plan formed in his mind. A plan to get Julie out of this dump. To get them all out. Ted suffered from something Susan called injured bird syndrome, the need to help those who appeared damaged and in need of rescue. She wasn't wrong. Seeing someone suffer just wasn't in his nature. And there was no question Julie was suffering. Show us your goddamn bush, a man shouted. A glass mug flew through the shadows and hit Julie in the knee. By the look in her eyes, that wouldn't hurt. Once she recovered, she turned to the crowd and offered what the man wanted. Ted looked away as scattered cheers filled the room. He wasn't interested in seeing any more of Julie than he already had, especially that all-consuming hurt in her eyes. She's still learning the ropes, Jack growled, crunching on a mouthful of stale corn chips. Maybe you'd like a turn with her, he winked, in private. A light flicked on in Ted's head. Yeah, I sure would, he said. How about another drink? Now that's more like it, Jack shouted. Get this man a drink. The third shot went down like wildfire, but Ted was beginning to grow accustomed to the taste. 
He looked into the crowd and saw a man near the catwalk unzip his fly and dangle his penis next to the stage. These people are cavemen, Ted thought. Give it a tug, the man with the exposed private shouted. It's not going to tug itself. If Julie did what she was told, it was not his concern. His stomach rolled. When does she get off? Ted asked. Ten minutes or so, Jack replied. You're raring to go, ain't you? Is it that obvious? Ted played along. Jack laughed and slapped him on the shoulder. It'll be our little secret. Over the course of several more songs, Ted ran through his options. If this was going to work, it needed to happen quickly and quietly. He knew he needed a little liquid courage to pull this off, but too much was going to make him slow and stupid. Already his head was swimming from the effects of the alcohol. You have private rooms in the back, I assume? Ted asked. Sure we do, Jack said. Or you could take care of your business right here. Ain't no one bashful in this group, he laughed. I think I'd prefer to be alone, he said. I'm not much of an exhibitionist. Any way you want it. The song ended and Jack waved Julie over to the bar. A few of the drunks pawed at her as she made her way through them, grabbing at her breasts and ass. She smiled and did her best to dodge their groping fingers. When she got to the bar, she sat on an empty stool and crossed her legs. This close, Ted saw she was absolutely stunning, but also completely horrified at what she'd been forced to do. She couldn't make eye contact with either of them. Julie, this is my new friend Ted, Jack said. You're going to give him anything he wants. Yes, Jack, she mumbled. That's a good girl. Take him back to room three. Anything he wants. Everything he wants. Yes, Jack. You bite his cock and we're going to have a discussion about your future here at the club. Ted felt a soft hand take hold of his arm and lead him to the shadowy corridor at the end of the bar. There were closed doors on either side, six in total. The door to room three was open. A smell like bleach and sweat wafted into the hallway. All around him, Ted heard the muffled grunts of others partaking in the bar's dancers. His stomach churned, thinking of what awful things must have taken place here. Julie led him into the room, lit by a single lantern hanging from the ceiling. One straight-backed chair sat in the middle of the floor, surrounded by cigarette butts and several bottles. One of them was full to the brim with yellow liquid that Ted assumed was piss. Let me get that out of the way, Julie said, grabbing the bottle and putting it in the corner of the room. Some of the guys are into water sports. Huh? They like to be peed on, she replied. It's not always easy to pee on command, so we store some for special occasions. I'll do it if you want me to, but I'd rather you didn't. No. Oh my God, of course not. Julie grabbed a thin sheet of plastic from a pile on the floor and draped it over the chair. Jack wants us to keep the place clean, she said. Have to use the plastic or he gets irritated. Jack owns the place, Ted asked. Jack owns everything, Julie said. And everyone. Once she covered the chair, she motioned Ted to sit. She knelt between his legs and undid the button on his pants. He grabbed her hand and shook his head slowly. No, he said. Sit in my lap, facing me. No foreplay? I'm fine with that. Julie sat in his lap and started grinding back and forth on his thighs. He put his hands on her shoulders and pulled her closer. Don't, he said. 
Listen to me and listen carefully. She stopped, her eyes full of fear. Am I doing something wrong? Please, I'll fix it. Don't tell Jack or... No, Ted interrupted. You're not doing anything wrong. Just listen. Julie put a finger to her lips and made a display of looking to either side of the room. Whatever you want, she said, acting on his cue. Ted nodded, understanding. They were being watched. He pulled her closer, feeling her nipples press against his chest through his shirt. He wrapped a hand in her thick hair and pulled her face to within inches of his. Ted hadn't been this close to another woman in over twenty years. Listen, he whispered in her ear. We're getting out of here. She pushed him away, looked in his eyes and began crying silently. It broke Ted's heart to feel that kind of pain radiate from another human being so profoundly. Do you know what you're up against? She asked. I have a pretty good idea, he said, but it doesn't change anything. Julie leaned in and kissed him on the cheek lightly. You get me out of here and I'll do anything you want, I swear. I'm married, Ted laughed, displaying his wedding band. Happily married. Of course you are. All the good ones are taken. She blew a hot, trembling breath against his neck. So what do we do? Is there a back door to this shithole? Yeah, through the kitchen, she said. Jack usually has one of his goons there so the girls don't try to slip out. We'll cross that bridge if we have to, Ted said. Can you run naked? I've done worse things naked. Ted nodded sympathetically. Then that's what we do. Quick as we can. That's the plan? Do you have a better one? Julie shook her head and frowned. On three, you run for the door. I'll follow you. Julie nodded. We're only going to get one chance to pull this off, Ted said. Then we'd better make it a good one. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.